0: Welcome to today's episode on the podcast. I'm so excited to bring in the lovely and fun and beautiful Alex. Alex Darby is a coach. She was also diagnosed just like me with breast cancer and her early menopause was onset at 42. She really felt she needed to tap into and bring out her inner warrior because she said to me in her own words, I didn't go through all of this, meaning her cancer treatment to be feeling like that. And so I can't wait to hear Alex's story. But Alex also talks about divorce. She talks about being alone, raising her daughter alone after treatment and what it was like to meet a new person and to be dating again and to show herself with all her newly acquired physical and mental scars. And how can we do that if we find that this is almost impossible to even think about it? Alex will share with us some of the things that she did that really helped her. And I really hope that you enjoy listening and having a giggle with Alex and I. Hi, good morning, Alex, and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. Excited to talk about menopause and cancer and divorce and new relationships and perhaps even sexuality and all of that, (laughs) which I am really keen to explore with you today. Okay, brilliant. Sounds good to me. Alex, you and I, we share a similar medical history and we met through working for Newson's Health. We both work for the Balance Plus app. Uh, The first person I met was your husband actually, who was telling me how amazing you are and uh, you and him (laughs) ran... A Marathon.
1: We did in New York, yeah, absolutely. When was that? So we ran the New York Marathon in 2018 when I was celebrating my five years, my five-year milestone from being diagnosed with breast cancer the second time. Wow. So, and I was, at the time I was, I didn't know it, but I was deeply menopausal, even though I knew I was was in the menopause because um, my period stopped when I had chemotherapy and never came back. But then I tested positive for the BRCA gene and had my ovaries removed the year before, and I didn't, I didn't really appreciate how des- desperately bad I was. I think that actually training for the marathon probably helped keep me going. So I wow. ran it, fractured my foot, tore my calf muscle, but I ran it <laughs> across the finish line. <laughs> 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 what an achievement!
0: And you celebrated five years. We did,
1: we did, absolutely.
0: With a new
1: partner as well. Yes, yes. So we'd yeah. only been married a year then. Wow. A year and so a bit. Yeah.
0: From the time you had your surgery and then you trained for your marathon, and you felt really, like you say, quite deep in it in this, you know, post-menopausal, post-surgery, no-hormone mm-hmm. stage. And before then, you even managed to what go dating? I mean, I've really want to unpick all of that and how it all worked. It seems madness. A lot Obviously to unpick. Madness. Yeah, madness. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So we've sort of taken listeners into five years post diagnosis, but take us back just so we all understand. When were sure. you diagnosed? What were you diagnosed with? Sure.
1: Okay. So I was diagnosed in um, 2013, January the second, 2013. My dad's birthday. And I was diagnosed with hormone negative, just it was just hormone negative at the time, it was on my right breast. I found the lump myself because I was part of the family history clinic. So I used to have um, mammograms every year anyway. And then I, through, through working with my oncologist, who were fantastic, we decided to have radiotherapy first rather than diving straight into chemotherapy because I was querying whether I should be having more surgery. And as I was had, so I had a longer longer time with uh, radio- six weeks of radiotherapy every day. And on the last week of my radiotherapy, I found another lump in my other breast by accident. And on the last day of my treatment, in the morning I had in ho- one hospital, went for radiotherapy. In the afternoon, went to another hospital, and had my lump removed. And that was breast cancer again. That was triple negative, And I started chemotherapy about two weeks later. Wow. Uh, I had chemotherapy for six months. And then had my first mastectomy reconstruction on my left-hand side, uh, straight after my chemo, which was really hard work. And then six months later, had it on my right side, the same surgery. So June 2014. So then I was all sort of no breast tissue left, um, fully reconstructed, and actually feeling pretty good, to be honest. I was, um, my period stopped in July 2013 never ever came back so I was I was I was post-menopausal there and then really and I could feel I really felt it I was having massive hot flushes but actually the rest of it I was kind of dealing with I really changed my lifestyle from being ill and ate really well lots of exercise and um did not think about dating anybody I've got to be honest with you my (laughs) my body was full of scars when you
0: were diagnosed were you still in a relationship? Were you married? No, no, You've no, got no, a daughter, no. don't you? I've got How a daughter. Is, I've yeah. got,
1: she's, she's now 14. Yeah. No, no. So, oh, yeah, sorry. But it's so a backtrack, right backtrack to <laughs> 2012. I, uh, me and my husband uh, separated in September. And in the December, I found a lump in my breast, And that's when I started the journey of it, working out what it was. So when you
0: were diagnosed, you were just
1: separated,
0: a few months into separation. A few months
1: separated. And I believe and my friend told me in the doctor's office when I was diagnosed, the first thing I said was, Thank God I left him. (laughs) Not, Oh my goodness me, what's happening to me? It was more the just imagine what would have happened if I hadn't done and I would have felt trapped. I always I often go back to that time and I do share that a lot with people to say, You've got to go with your instincts. You just do not know what is what's what's around the corner really see because my gut feeling
0: would have been that you would have thought oh my gosh I should have stayed with him I need all the help I can get to get through this no one knows what's around the corner I need my daughter's dad to be around us and to be supportive but for you, it was the best thing you could have done.
1: Absolutely, the best thing in the world. And actually, it was really the best thing for him as well, because he sort of <laughs> stepped up and became yeah. the, daughter, the the father she, she needed at that time. Because she was only four, uh, five, actually, the second time it happened. And no five-year-old who's very close to a mum is going to understand it and is not going to like seeing what they're going to witness in the next two years really so actually he it, it kind of weirdly worked out for both of us. Wow so yeah. you lived
0: on your own through treatment with your daughter? Yeah
1: I did yes. yeah I look back and I actually can't quite believe I did it but yeah I lived on my own I had a really good network of friends obviously my both of my parents had died at that at that point my dad had died a couple of years earlier so um I had a routine where Everybody knew what my treatment schedule was, and I'd have people drop in just just to double check I was okay. Daisy wow. would would be with a dad, and they should be with me. So I would have a treatment on Thursday, Thursday Friday Saturday. I was just out of the count. Sunday I was ravenously hungry, like I just couldn't stop eating. And then on Monday, Daisy would come home, and I'd be sort of alright. I would I I'd stuck to my routine, and I would dragged myself out to walk every day, and I juiced every day, and so I've had a routine that really, really worked that got me through. Wow. Yeah.
0: Gosh, I think many people who might be listening to this now, it might take them back into their early days of this active treatment. We always think active treatment, that's it, isn't it? But for most of us, the reality only kicks in or we fall off a cliff after active treatment
1: Oh Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But But when we look back... Yeah, Yeah, but you've got a massive support network. Um, Doctors, nurses, you've got visits, you've got planned. I often think that suddenly the the machine kicks in, doesn't it? And I was very, very lucky. I was able to have chemotherapy at home. I didn't have to travel to hospital back on my own, which was really good. But actually, like you just said, the active part of the treatment, you're very protected, um, yeah. is afterwards where it can feel very isolating, actually, if you're, not, if you're not careful. Yeah. And we look back, and I often look at
0: pictures from when I was going through active treatment, and on the pictures, you'd never know. It looked like we had a lovely life. Mm. And inside, I was petrified and exhausted and in pain mm. and such different realities. Okay, so then you get through all of this. And obviously dating, I mean, oh gosh, not in a million no, years, Just right, Not exactly. in a million years.
1: I was my body was so, my body was so full of scars. I'd been completely chopped around, and bits of my body moved to different places to create different things, and, and the muscles moved. And oh my word, no, it just was not in my world. And actually, I wasn't bothered. I was very happy being single. I, I was really enjoying my, my. I was really enjoying making my own choices and not having to be I just was really enjoying it actually so no yeah. just not I went I loved my job I went back to work up after I was off work for 18 months a really long time yeah uh yeah I had a big job so I was, I was looking forward to getting back but no no men were on the on the cards <laughs>
0: A man muddled in, muddled himself into your life. How did that happen? Was he oh my god, it was just it happened, or were you actively thinking, I'm ready for a relationship, I think I can do, I want to be in a relationship again?
1: I think that uh when I was going through like you said a few sentences ago, when you were on the outside, when you had active treatment, you can be looking like you're in control and everything's fine, but on the inside is sort of, it's all feeling very, very different. Well, I I, and I completely get that, and that when that was me, I when I was sort of struggling with my own sort of emotional sort of stability, and sort of fighting my demons a little bit, I did a lot of journaling, I did a lot of writing, I did a lot of I wrote a blog every day for the whole of my treatment, and it was so cathartic, and I kind of got to the place where I worked out why my relationship before had gone dreadfully wrong and what I would never do again. So I sort of did this weird well this if I was ever going to do it again I'd only do it if and I, I sort of did so much work on my life and what I want it to be like. And that's why I thought I can only meet I can meet this person if this person exists or be completely happ- happily single forever and love everything I do. And I left it I left it at that to be honest. And I did not think um, I didn't think about men at all, relationships of any way, shape or form, until I met Alistair. And then sudden, suddenly something was like, oh, uh, I can't stop thinking about this guy and I don't know why. This is unusual. <laughs> I'm not really sure how I feel about this. <laughs> and that's how it happened. But it was very steady and very slow. You know, we, there was no sort of, it was, I don't really feel like I, ever, I went dating. I, it, it was sort of a, more of a communication thing first, mm. I think fascinating
0: and yeah. in this early time how often so by then you've already so you've had your double mastectomy you've been through yeah. all you active treatment have you also had your ophrectomy because you found no. out no no I so didn't that have was, that for okay. some years later actually okay. so how often did you think there is this guy we might you know become close to one another and my body looks different
1: oh to what it was oh, before that's what stopped me it held me back actually so scared about being. I mean, so much so that I used to go to gym. I, I go. I, I like working out. I like going to the gym. And um, I was so when the gym I used to go to then, I was so worried about anybody in the changing room seeing my body that I wouldn't get changed in the gym because I was so paranoid about it. Because i was just to me the scar. I mean, I, I am scarred, but I don't think anybody may have re- may have really noticed like I notice. So I didn't want him to see my scars. I was so scared about it, so much so that I gave him my get out clause. If he, <laughs> the day that I I let him see them, if he wanted to say call it quits, I would I would not be offended. <laughs> so you've got a, you've got a a one time pass. <laughs> yeah. So you must
0: you must have been nervous. I mean, I totally get it. I still. You know, I've had a double mastectomy with reconstruction and they don't look normal. They no. look very odd. I've got loads of scars like so many women. Mm. I was shown pictures of what they might look like and they don't look anything like it. My left like one it. is rippled. My right one is different. Mm. And I don't think I would put myself still into a situation where I might get changed in front of mm. people. I know no one cares, but I, I don't know where I could.
1: I care, though. I care.
0: Exactly. And so I totally know how that must have been feeling and holding you back and Mm. I guess when you get over it you're done with it isn't it and then you don't look back but you just need to get over that line
1: yeah It's, it's all about trust actually but it's not really about trusting them it's about trusting yourself and I had to something I hadn't probably appreciated that I didn't realize how much I didn't trust myself which was in a bizarre way so I had to learn to completely believe and trust in myself and love myself regardless of what I look like and I think that that's a really hard part of overcoming the surgery part of it because your body goes through an immense amount of trauma in a very short space of time not just through the treatment but then the surgery afterwards and like you say I've got bits my armpits will never be the same because my muscles have been pulled through and I'll look completely different like any woman who's experiences will understand that as you as you know and I I need to just shut my eyes take my top off (laughs) and say right (laughs) just 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 look now and if you want to go go while my eyes are closed (laughs) you are fantastic for
0: sharing this But, but Alex you know so much of what you said is process of loving yourself whether you've had surgery or cancer or not this is something that most of us have to relearn at one point because absolutely I wonder if you speak to 10 women who haven't had our experience and surgery and cancer whether they'd feel a certain way because for some reason, maybe our generation, but we've almost been brainwashed into this idea of symmetry, into this idea of we need to look a certain way, that we want to do everything we can to not have cellulite, to not have e- saggy boobs, and all of that, and I guess 40 odd years of brainwashing, it can't be undone in a age, can it? And so,
1: no, gosh, what a learning for
0: all of us.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think actually the, w- the place I got to was I am me, and I will always look like this, and love me or not, that's your call, not mine, because I love me, and whether you want to be on the ride with me or not, just, I can't make somebody do that, so I had to feel totally 100% all right with it, whatever the outcome was going to be, so I did, I closed my eyes, and waited to see whether I heard a door slam or not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and luckily I didn't. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh what a beginning and then it yeah. became easier
1: I guess right after that first hurdle yeah. yeah so much easier so much so much easier and it also established a very deep connection between the two of us very quickly because yeah nobody's going to understand nobody's going to stand in front of a woman who's been through that and is putting herself in that sort of very very vulnerable position and not understand it and I think that. That that I thought there was an instant trust between us. That he got what I'd gone through from my scars. They tell, yeah. they tell, they tell. They, they, you know, it's worth a million words, aren't they?
0: Yeah. And and yeah,
1: yeah. And 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 I showing think,
0: up in a vulnerable space is beautiful. Sometimes, isn't it? Completely,
1: yeah. completely, completely. Yeah. We've been, we've just gone, we've got stronger and stronger and stronger as the years have gone by. And he was with me when I had my oophorectomy. So. I had my, uh, all that happened when we were together. Yeah. And actually, we decided to get married on the back of, we decided to get married because um, we weren't getting, going to get married, actually. It wasn't never something we'd really talked about. Uh, we were very happy as we were. I didn't really feel the, it wasn't actually, I wasn't bothered. I had my um, bracket result came back and it, it absolutely, Floored me again. I couldn't believe it. I don't know why yes. I couldn't believe it because like I knew. I kind of knew my mum had a breast cancer; she died from it. I knew that it was very likely, but again, it was another operation, another hospital, another series of tests, and it was the of course putting, putting yourself back in that situation is difficult, isn't it? So yeah, when I had my oophorectomy, I was very uh, very strong, and you know, I was very fit and sort of bounced back really quickly. Apart from the menopausal side. But because of my operation, we had a holiday booked that summer, home operation in April in Italy. I had a holiday booked in Italy for two weeks in over August and we just and he just said to me, "You know what? that holiday, I think it should be our honeymoon." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless him. So hmm. got we got married that, we got married that year, just everything worked fell into place and we got married and we went and all because of my down to my ovaries it's <laughs> like wow. <to> my ovaries <laughs> wow well, you let go of the
0: ovaries and you bring a husband into your leg <laughs> wow yeah 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 so then after the ophorectomy did your menopause no talk me can I just ask you something let's go back a little bit in our timeline in the times after your surgeries and your periods didn't come back that's right how did you discuss your symptoms of the menopause with a healthcare professional with your oncologist or your GP or did you think it's a side effect of everything that's happened I better put up with it what did you think then
1: really interesting I didn't have a conversation with anybody about it my my oncologist said to me your your periods will stop they might come back they might not you will go into menopause but that might change so you've got you've got a suck it and see almost and see what happens then when I explained my symptoms to him he said uh unlucky they, they sound bad nothing you can do really just got to get on with it this is what I was in active treatment so i and yeah. actually whilst I was in active treatment I kind of just I kind of just I had bigger things on I had a bigger fish to fry at totally. the time <laughs> and totally. I kind of got on with it really um, didn't really just the hot flushes were awful but other than that I kind of was dealing with it and because the emotional, the emotional rollercoaster, I put very much down to having cancer and having treatment, and of so th- then afterwards, when nothing changed, my pain didn't come back. My symptoms carried on being as they were. I had no conversation with anybody about it. It was just I just got on with it. No, my GP wouldn't help me. My GP said no. Everyone just said no. Every single turn, everyone said no.
0: Alex, you're a coach by profession. You help yes. people almost go from a to b and you help them step by step I guess to get to whatever their goals are yeah at no point you could apply any of that professional expertise onto your own life what what I would try to get to the bottom so many women say to me I guess that's just a trade-off to survive and whether we have a little bit of that or what do you think when don't
1: I didn't think that. I didn't think that at all, actually. I, did, I thought at the time as I was recovering, I thought I've got to make some, a series of changes. And I spoke a lot about, about my, how I was feeling in menopause and how, what I ate, what I drank, you know, what I juiced, what I exercised, what, everything I did. I was very, very, very sort of, I always consider myself as being a bit like a walking experiment because I react so, I react very quickly to things. So, I sort of found a way of getting through and I thought this works for now. When I had my ovaries removed, and the uh, consultant said to me, You might have a little bit of a menopausal wobble. That was all he said. I didn't, I fell off a cliff. I absolutely fell off a cliff. And how old were you then? 47. So, and I you was, might have a little bit of a wobble, was your advice. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, being menopausal, post-menopausal, as was 42 my overs out when I was in 2017. I was I absolutely fell off a cliff. I got, we got married so it kept me going, but I could feel it then I was struggling and I was feeling really anxious and I was thinking this is I'm only getting married or is this this is a happy time and yet you know I, I my anxiety started to really kick in. And then we started training for the New York Marathon the year afterwards and it was all my focus. And I, you know I'll plus uh, working with clients who actually it's funny what happens I always attract people to me that are going through something similar all my clients were, were 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 perimenopausal and I was like I don't I don't know why I'm feeling like this so I spoke to many many people and went to see so many different specialists and nobody would touch me with a barge pole actually just said no just no have some antidepressants I'm not depressed <laughs> have have um Antidepressants or stop or try this or try CBT. I said, I don't need CBT. I'm a coach. I know what I'm doing. This is not about mindset. This is about feel my body is just sinking. Like I felt a shadow of myself. Just awful.
0: Before you had your surgery to remove your ovaries, at any point in this process, did anyone say, let's book you in with a menopause specialist? No. The same hospital at the
1: team. Okay. No. That wasn't never Never talked about at all, ever. Not even mentioned it was never a thing see this is the this is partly i also want to
0: highlight in so many conversations i have with women because i was so lucky mm. and f- for where i was at the hospital where i chose to have my surgery it was ensured that i'd have my menopause appointment before surgery and and they talked me through all of my options, depending on my cancer, the fact that I had a double mastectomy, the fact that I was five years on from my initial diet, all of those things contributed to that decision making progress, something that can't happen in general practice, yep. something that needs to happen in specialist care, and something yep. that all of us have access to
1: absolutely I mean we've no one spoken, communicates it yeah no we've, we've spoken about this before and we have we had opposite uh, directly opposite experiences yeah. when we both went with our eutherectomy so well, our exact pretty much identical journeys but the that experience you had the best way I had the worst yeah. way yeah and actually it took me two years then to get somebody who would listen to me and that's when I found the Newton Health because they were the only people and the only reason I found so I was doing, I was trying to research evidence-based HRT with breast cancer. And just, it was really hard to find anybody who would talk to me about it. And, and lots of people were saying, uh, lots of GPs, very, very nervous. saying, "Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't help, you know, or we'll refer you to the menopause hospital, which is fine. But then that's an eight month waiting list. I, I think it's desperately unfair, actually, for us not to have that information. But so I found it myself, privately. I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Which is not always the case as well. And it took you two years to get yeah. to that stage, which the is two a year, time. the The first a long time. The first year I was training for a marathon, and I so actually I was really focused on that. And there yeah. is something about a mindset that is so doggedly determined to some on something you can actually bypass some other things because I was yeah. running so much and I was I was on this sort of I want to say treadmill. I don't mean that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, but I was <laughs> like. <laughs> But then when I, when we finished the marathon, we came back to the UK, I got flu and I just never really got myself back. And that was the end of 2018. By sort of March 2019, i found use and health. And that's when I started to, that's when my journey started to improve.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? To think, wow, how we have had so much going on in our life. How we Mm -hmm. then do something as drastic as removing your ovaries to prevent more cancers because really that's why you and I were doing it because our chances of ovarian cancer would be super high. And like in my family, we've lost so many women to ovarian cancer. You just want to do everything to reduce your risks to then be left in a situation where we have no support is devastating for so many women, especially if they can't afford private health or if you feel so poorly in your mental health that you can't advocate for yourself anymore because to keep advocating for yourself for two years is hard work you must have really, worked really. like a lioness right it's exhausting. Yeah. exhausting Exhausting.
1: absolutely exhausting absolutely exhausting but life is life and actually i wasn't going to go through breast cancer to be left with that that i just wasn't hmm. going to do it i wasn't, I wasn't prepared to do it <laughs> because i'd got i'd i beaten i'd gone through all that i wasn't going to now be a shadow of my former self because of it so there was i wasn't going to stop until somebody listened actually uh, th- that's exhausting and it, and it should be very unnecessary for someone to have to do that but, you know yeah. i've got a daughter i'm a single mom for intensive purposes my mum died of breast cancer uh, i'm not prepared for history to repeat itself so there was just no way it was it was just non-negotiable i wasn't going to not get help i would have done i would have i would have carried on until somebody listened and thank god there's somebody out there who
0: did and what did you decide to do how did you help or how did you turn that situation around
1: so because of my fact, I've had a double mastectomy, I'm homo-negative, I didn't have any ovaries. My risks actually, even though, I've, even though I've got a family history and I've had breast cancer twice, I still, my risks are actually relatively low. I'm fit, I'm healthy, I really, I'm really. i very careful about what I eat and drink. And therefore, I started having HRT because it was the obvious choice to have, to, to, the obvious choice. I started on HRT and then added um, testosterone about four months later just to see when that really really helped actually because the, the thing that I found the thing I found the hardest was the emotional slump that I felt and the brain fog it almost reminded me of chemo brain you know that sort of where you can't really think because your body's dealing with so much to stay breathing and walking and talking so I felt I felt that and for someone who's I'm a naturally curious person, and I'm I, I'm like a, I'm very determined on a lot of fronts. I was struggling to think properly; it was really frustrating me. So I really wanted the clarity back. And how long did it take you to feel better? Well, I I, I say I, I walked out of the clinic swinging a big bag of hormones, and actually felt better without even putting any on my skin because I had the I, I, it had the effect of finally. You know, I walked into the clinic sort of with tears streaming down my face, really, thinking somebody's actually listening to me. And I think I probably started to feel better within about four weeks.
0: It's also feeling validated, isn't it? That someone, a healthcare professional, actually validates what you're going through. In in women in perimenopause, they often say, I just want a diagnosis. And then that Mm. would make me feel as if I'm not just going mad if someone else just validates what I'm experiencing that alone can make us feel so much better. Like you say, without even actually, of course, you've weighed up your risks and your benefits and it's a choice that you probably have talked about with your husband as well. And these aren't just quick decisions, right? The decision-making process sometimes lasts for weeks and months and we mull over it. Do you worry sometimes that you're making the right
1: choice or... Uh, of course, I am human. And of course, I think anybody who's gone through what we've gone through is always going to have moments of, well, what if? And they are, they are just, a, I think, a, a side effect of what we've experienced. But those are much few, fewer and far between than they've ever been. So I've never, I've never thought I'm doing the wrong thing with HRT ever. Because it was what my daughter said to me, driving back from somewhere, before I had HRT, she said, you know, mum, you've got the best laugh in the world. But the problem is I just don't hear it anymore. And I thought, oh, oh my God. And like, So I had a, that, I had that. always is there like she, for her, for her life and for her to enjoy growing up and, and having a childhood, not crying because she's seeing a mum with tubes coming out of her. It's, oh, that's really important to me. So yeah, I think that I've never once regretted HRT. It's the best thing I ever did. I think the natural side effect of someone who's had cancer is always going to be, well, what if? But then that's, that's, that's the yin and the yang, isn't it, of what we do? And that is what I call empowered
0: because, you know, I speak to many women who are in very similar situations to us and they would never touch HRT. And that's okay if you feel empowered about what you do. But I feel we can only be empowered if someone talks us through our choices, the options and so that we together can make informed decisions And in your case you had to really fight for it for two years and then pay for it and go privately. And that is the injustice. And so I guess the more we can share, the more women can think, actually, I'm going to try and book a menopause specialist before I've got my surgery. So if anyone's listening, who's got that head of them, get yourself on that waiting list.
1: Oh, uh, it would have been a different, it would have been out of, do you feel like I lost two years because of what happened? The, yeah. the two years, all I actually remember doing is crying a lot and running. <laughs> that's all I did. married. I got married just before that happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, just after that happened, actually. But just after, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah I did I got married. I actually started my own business as well. So there is not, there is good in, there is good that's come out of all of this. But the one thing I would say is about the personal choice is it's it is it is the word is personal because you can be given all the information in the world. But at the end of the day, you've got to make a decision yourself. You can't do what somebody else wants to do. I think you've got to really sit with it and you've got to feel into what it means to you to have that, to either have it or not have it. And if you choose to have it, then have it and embrace it in all its glory and yeah. live. And if you choose not to have it, embrace that with all its glory and live. And don't ever be thinking, as my husband would call it, don't be half pregnant because you can't be. It's impossible. But if you say, if you're doing one thing, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that, then you're being half pregnant. You've got to be all in. Whatever the decision, be all in. Because that yeah. that's, that's part of the moving on. Yeah, that
0: sounds... That sounds good. I feel like I'm all in. And then there are some mornings where I wake up and I'm like, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then absolutely. Move, through, absolutely. move through the day. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. What would you say to someone who's listening who might be on their own or about to get separated and who can't see how at all you'll ever move into this space of dating anyone, of being ready for another person? How can we get ourselves ready to sort of meet and show up in front of another human? Again, like, you, because did, you got, what would you
1: Well, <laughs> I, I, for me, it's, it's, for me, you show up for yourself. You forget about other people for, for a while and you just show up for yourself. You'd be the person you would wanna be with and be that person now. Because looking for somebody else to fill the gap, you'll always be looking, because nobody can do that. So only you can do that. So decide what kind of life you wanna live and decide what who, who you wanna surround yourself with and be that person now. And you'll be amazed what, what changes. So I, I decided that I wanted to be with someone who had a deep set of sort of beliefs and morals and humour and care and respect and good conversation. I'm, 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 I'm not a chit-chat person. I'm right in there with a deep conversation. And I'm intense as they come. But that's me. <laughs> I've always been the same. And I, knew, and I always wanted someone to have those conversations with me. And so I just started being that person myself and started to research my own things that interested me and have conversations with people who are just, were passing. And before you know it, I would, I'd become that person. I was, I was broadening my reach on terms of what I was reading and listening to and consuming. You, the, you are the product of the five people that you spend most time with or the five things you read the most or the five things you listen to most. So be that right now. And if you're in a situation like I was in, just forget about other people forget about partners and love love thyself first otherwise you'll never get there (laughs) it's everything self-love is everything i love that so much because you are sort of taking
0: me a step back from my original question isn't it i'm sort of rushing into the future and thinking how can we prepare for it but that step that you're just explaining is almost like the crucial first step before you even embark on anything else
1: yeah, because if you if you truly if you love yourself so much that you would if you think about if if any people who struggle with self love and think about someone they love, a child or a dog or whatever it is that they really love, they think about how they would treat that person, and then just do that back to yourself. It, it's just we're very good at loving other people, but we're not really loving ourselves. I think that's the switch that needs to be made. I think when you come from a place of love, then actually your decisions have become very different. And I think when you come to a place of love, you do want to prepare for what's coming in the future. And I think yeah. it's always really easy to tell when someone doesn't love themselves because they don't have a future plan. But those people who really do love themselves have got a plan for the future, whatever that looks like. So that's why I think if, you, if people who are scared about what's coming, just always go back to yourself because you're you only going you to spend the rest of your life with one person and that's you. So be all in with that person that now and you can't go wrong. You'll never let yourself down. I love that. And especially if we've
0: been through so much and so much trauma and when your mind takes you back to all the conversations at hospital, when you've had bad news, when you've had surgery, when you were petrified of waiting for another appointment or another scan result, it it would be so easy to go back and just give yourself a big hug and say... Absolutely. Come on, girl, you will be okay. And in that moment, you're just petrified, but looking back, gosh, we could hug ourselves, couldn't we squeeze? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Um, I I wrote, I wrote, and wrote, and wrote, and wrote obsessively filled notebooks with, I actually don't know what, I'm honest, in between painting the house from top to bottom about ten times through the night because I couldn't sleep. And and writing, but, but the whole writing thing was actually learning to love myself again it was a process that to get rid of all of the conditions on a you know know, big busy corporate job that was hard-nosed and really didn't really get give yourself a chance to practice self-love in any way shape or form oh we're completely wrong we should be teaching this stuff in schools it's not negotiable absolutely is that mm-hmm. your lovely doggy in the background? Sorry, here? yeah. No, that's okay. I've got two. Uh, Love you. <laughs> yeah, one fight. One's down here. The they, are lovely. Barking. Mm. they
0: give a lot of love don't they pets they do, give yeah. a lot of love which is fantastic yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah just can I ask your last question because you've mentioned your journaling and your writing a couple of times if that doesn't come natural to someone because yes. obviously you just needed to write and get it out of your head onto paper if that doesn't come natural to someone but someone thinks I've listened to Alex and maybe I should give writing or journaling a go how could we make a start
1: if it's not a natural process using some journal prompts is always a good, I mean, you could just Google journal prompts and a load of things would come up. Um, and oh, that's really? just, yeah. oh yeah. I just, there's a, I actually created my own book to, to do that. Wow. And that, It's a three pages of A4 blank every day and it's got prompts in it. And then at the end of every day you talk about your, 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 your gratitude list. Cause that's the other thing that I learned was to, be really grateful and happy for what I've got right in this moment in time, whatever is going on. And I have to say, through my cancer journey, that's one thing that kept me sane was recognizing the good that was going on in, in the world, right in my life, right now. So I've, I incorporate that into that into this process. So yeah, it's a yeah. So I journal prompts. Uh, ask yourself a question. Think about what's just, just like say what what is that I'm feeling right now. A word, and just write on that word. There's lots of different ways of doing it. Yeah. But just if anyone is really listening, I want to do this now. Just Google journal prompts. Brilliant idea. And you
0: know what's interesting? I had one of those Monday mornings because it is Monday and I had one of those Monday mornings where I just feel a bit anxious. I feel like the whole week is looming ahead of me. I've got a few big things coming up and I'm feeling just that anxiety. I don't know if it's maybe partly menopause or maybe is it just because beginning of a week. And I feel deeply grateful that we have connected today. And I know that gratitude practice is very much one true that kept me going as well. And so I'm glad you bring it up and you mention it because even now, you know, chatting to you for half an hour, I feel deeply grateful that you share so honestly that other people can listen and, you know, learn from our conversation. And how wonderful to know that we're not alone and we're navigating it differently. But there is a huge pool of us. Yeah. So much to
1: be grateful for, isn't it? So much. Oh, absolutely, and I always, find that, I always find that tapping into that gratitude can shift your energy in seconds. So you like to say, we wake up on a Monday morning. I did as well. As well I think feeling all over the place, like my heart was thinking, I was like, oh my god, what, what is what is wrong with me? So <sighs> I do my I do my journaling, my three pages, and then I do my gratitude list, and suddenly I'm all right again. It took me fifteen minutes and I'm back on track. And I think it's a really good practice for anybody to get into if they're feeling that kind of anxiety. Really, really, really good. It's also good because I always think when you journal, you start journaling and it's like, I'm writing. I don't know what I'm going to write about today. I'm just writing words. I don't really know what I'm writing about. I think I need to go to the shops and buy X, Y, and Z. No, I mustn't forget to pay that bill. And do you think I should ring that person? So I'm not, and then suddenly all that goes and suddenly you start writing some really good stuff. And I think that's, that's also very, very helpful. It's a woman called Julia Campbell she did the artist way and she helps people is a practice she devised over 20 years ago you write three pages of free writing every day and you just wow. write and it helps get rid of all that noise and helps you find what you actually need to be thinking about it's very 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 good I love it. You've been running and crying and writing
0: your way through, haven't you? Your (laughs) hardest times. And isn't it (laughs) interesting what coping mechanisms we've all got and how different they are? And the best thing about it is to move on and move through it. Because the saddest thing is when you hear people that have kind of like stopped advocating for themselves at one point. Because yeah. it's all become too much. So let's, Absolutely. Absolutely. let's hope someone listens and thinks, right, yeah. I'm going to pick it up, however long yeah. it's been, I've been feeling rubbish, and I'm going to make a fresh start at it. Yeah. Maybe by journaling, maybe by running, maybe by yeah. having a day full of tears, which is okay too.
1: Absolutely. Put a, fa- put a film on and cry. Yeah. Plan something and, and do it. Put yourself on a, on a date. Yeah. It's just, some, it's just something that's different and it changes how you feel mixes it up and it's amazing the different perspective you can gain from just doing something different and planning planning something in the future is really crucial really really crucial yeah really crucial I mean, I know that I I'd planned the to run the New York Marathon in five years I'm also running it 10 years and I've always known I was going to do this so I, I've always known that in 10 a uh, year 10 I would r- run the New York Marathon again which is next year and wow. it's sort of come about but I've always known it was going to happen and I've always had my my eye on well I've got to be around because I'm winning that marathon in in, in (laughs) 2023 and then I want to be doing this in 2025 and I've always had these things to aim for I think that's really important really really important oh my gosh that
0: means you're training now
1: so you're out back on the road Yes, I am back on the road. I'm not crying this time, though, It's all right. No, yes. <laughs> and maybe we can maybe we can talk again
0: when you've run it, and I can't wait to yeah. hear how it's gone. Stay injury free.
1: Yes, I shall do that. I should. I should be fine this time. Reality is, I should be. I have. Uh, I'm in a better physical state than I am. I was five years ago. Wow.
0: Thank you so much for sharing so much hope and laughter with us today. Yes, you're very welcome. <laughs>
1: scars and all.
0: It's scars and all. Thank yeah. you, Alex, and mm. speak soon. Ah, oh, That really helped me shift a little bit of my Monday morning anxiety talking to Alex and how much sense she spoke. And I really loved it when Alex, <laughs> Alex gave her partner almost a get-out clause, how funny, that really made me giggle today. I hope you took something away from Alex's and mine conversation today that resonated with you. Maybe something like journaling that you thought, gosh, I hadn't thought about that, I'm going to give that a go. And if you have anyone in your surrounding who might be going through menopause and cancer, then please do share this podcast with him or her, because. I think whether someone supports a person going through cancer and menopause or whether that person is you, the more we share, the more we talk, the better we can then move forward ourselves. And as always, if you also rate and review the podcast, you know it'll help me because it helps so many other people find it and for them to then stumble across our podcasts. Thank you so much for being here and wherever you are, I'm wishing you a lovely day and All the best, sending you a big virtual hug. Bye-bye.